All right, ladies, time's up. Okay, who's going to be brave and share their word that they have for Christmas? Okay, share them. Love, faith, and memories. Lovely words. Anybody else? Excitement, yes. Anticipation, yes. Family. Those are great words, guys. Well, maybe you're wondering what words I would come up with if I was going to share my words with you. And I had a hard time not narrowing it down to one, so I actually have two words. And I'd like to share tonight with you why I chose those two words. So the words are mercy and hope. And I want to kind of define those words a little bit so you kind of are on the same page with me in your understanding of what I mean by those words. So mercy means compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is in one, within one's power to punish or harm. So I could show mercy to my kids when they mess up sometimes. Hope. Hope's a bit of a tricky word. Hope can mean when we desire for something good in the future, like I hope we're having spaghetti and meatballs tonight for dinner. But hope cannot mean something quite a bit deeper. Hope can mean a confident expectation of the desire for something good in the future. And that's the kind of hope I'm talking about tonight. Now, to explain why I've chosen these two words, I'd like to share with you some things that have happened in my life in the last year and how those two words have kind of played into what Christmas means for me. And so first I want to take you to what God has been teaching me through his word, through the Bible, really helping me to understand mercy, to understand what mercy is, and just understand it in a much deeper way. The next thing I want to talk about is a really impactful weekend that I had with my family this summer that um, helped me to experience God's mercy in a a really fresh way. And then I want to tell you how all those things tie into Christmas and how God's mercy can be our hope. So the first thing I wanted to tell you about was what I've been learning in the Bible. Before I do this, I want to give you a little bit of my background. So I did not grow up in a Christian home. I have wonderful parents, but, you know, we did not set foot in church, ever. Um, So the first time I went to church was when a girl down the street from me um, invited me to go to her youth group. And I thought, okay, sure, I'll go. A bunch of teenagers hanging out. Sounds like fun. And so for the next year or two, I went with her to different youth events, and I kept going because there was always cute boys there. (laughs) But at that age, you can understand me. Um, So we started getting involved in a a group called Youth for Christ or Campus Life, and there was cute boys there too. (laughs) And they wanted to bring her on this weekend retreat where they were going to help her to share her faith with her friends. So they were training her on how to share her faith with her friends. And she wanted me to come too. And I didn't have faith at that point in my life. And she wanted me to come because I was kind of, you know, her safety blanket. And so they let me come. And why would I want to go on a weekend to learn how to share your faith? Because there was cute boys there. (laughs) So I went on this weekend. And as... The, my friends, as these people, as my friend especially, was practicing sharing her faith on me, 
God was doing a work in my heart. And very soon after that weekend, I became a Christian. Now, over the years, God has been teaching me more and more about who he is and his character and his love. And it has just helped me to grow so much in who I am. And through the Bible over the last year and through what we've been learning at church every week, God has just helped me to have such a deeper understanding of his mercy. And I just want to take you through. So we've been covering a book called Romans in the Bible for almost a year now. We've been going through it line by line, and I'm not going to do it any justice, (laughs) but I want to just kind of give you a bit of a summary if you're not familiar with this book in the Bible. Um, So we find out in the beginning of this book, um, actually I'm going to give you a little bit of a background on it first. So the background of the book is there's this guy named Paul, who is a really amazing person that we find out in the Bible that has gone from being one of the biggest persecutors of Christians, killing anybody he can find, to having an encounter with Jesus. And then he turns and becomes one of, I would say, you know, Jesus' most, what's the word? Um, just, he, he is, he's one of the most active disciples who is sharing his faith all over the world. So we get to see how Paul is going to now start writing this letter to a church in Rome. And this, the people in Rome that he's writing this letter to, he's never met before. He's never talked to them before. He's heard of them. And he wants to write them this letter to encourage them and for him to also be encouraged by them. So he's planning a trip to Spain. And on his way, he's going to stop in Rome and visit this church and kind of encourage them in in their faith. And so that's kind of what this letter in the Bible is about. And there's a couple things that are a little bit off at this church in Rome. So he writes them this letter to kind of explain some, some things that may be not so clear for them. And it's amazing because we get the beauty of learning about more about God, more about who he is, and more about Jesus through this letter. So... Let's get into the content of the letter. So Paul begins this letter by explaining to them that God has made himself known to everyone, both the Jews and the Gentiles, Gentiles being everyone who's not a Jew. For the Jews, he has made himself known to them throughout all throughout history. He's made himself known to them by being physically with them in some ways, by being audible, he's talked to them, All throughout the history of the Jewish nation, God has made himself known to them. Now, for those of us who are not Jewish, um, God has made himself known to us in another way. God has made himself known to us through his creation. When you look outside and you see trees, or you look outside and you see birds, everything has been created so intricately, so beautifully, that it's all pointing us towards an intelligent designer. It didn't just come by chance. Even if you look at our body, so I'm a massage therapist, I went to school and I studied the body for years, and it is the most amazing thing, and I didn't understand how nobody could look at it and go, something had to create this. So God has made himself known to us through all those things. The problem is that we humans have kind of messed this up. 
instead of worshiping the creator, the designer of all this stuff, we have turned and we've started worshiping the things he created. When we worship, what I mean by that is when we put those things first. When everything in our lives turns to those things and we put those things first. I know often in my life when I've done this is when I can look at something and see how much else in my life I might sacrifice to get that thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Do I want a peaceful home so much that I'm willing to yell at my kids and sacrifice my relationship with them? Am I so concerned about what people think of me that I'm willing to go into debt to go buy things that make me look good on the outside? Do I gossip or speak poorly about a friend just to find favor in people's eyes? We've all found ourselves in situations like this. We've all put ourselves in first place. <clears throat> and eventually, God allows us to bear the consequence of that, of those wrong beliefs, of worshiping the created things instead of the creator. And when we turn and worship those idols, those things that we put ahead, it produces in us idolatry, sin, brokenness, and pain. In the book of Romans, in chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have sinned. Now, the term sin is an interesting term. It's actually a term in archery. It, it's a term for missing the mark, missing the bullseye. And I actually, we have a, an archery kind of target range in our backyard, and when I go out there and try, I miss the whole bale of hay that it's on, not just the bullseye. So you can say that I sin very badly. <clears throat> we have missed the mark. We have missed the mark of worshiping and honoring God, our Creator. And we've fallen short of glorifying him. We put faith in ourselves instead of in God. We fight against him, and we try to exclude him from our lives. We are sinners. I'm a sinner. Paul then goes on to explain that because of this sin, there's a consequence, there's a repercussion for the sin. You see, God is holy, and we are not. And God, being holy, can't be in the presence of evil or sin. The main idea behind this holiness is a separation. God is separate from sin. So what does God do with people like us, sinners? In Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Let's take a second and look at the word wages. How would you feel if your boss refused to pay you the wages that you were due? Of course you would want justice. You worked for those wages. You should get what you deserve, right? 
So in this verse, it says the wages, what we deserve, what we earn, the wages of missing that mark, of worshiping the created things instead of worshiping the one who created them, the wages of sin is death. The word death in the Bible always means separation. In its most basic sense, it means separation from life. Now, because God, our creator, is the giver of life, a spiritual death means eternal separation from him. So again, I ask, what does a holy God do with people like us? What if we look at like this? Does a good judge sit before someone who is guilty of a horrible crime, murder, and say to them, you know what, deep down in your heart, I know you're a good person, and let them go free? No. A good judge makes sure that justice is served and that the guilty are punished. So how does a holy God pardon sinful man and still be just and good? The answer to this is found in another chapter in the book of Romans, in Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages of, oh, sorry, it's, it's in the same one, wrong one, sorry. So, for the wages of sin of, is death, the next part of that, cha- that verse says, but, and here's where our hope lies, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, let's look at this again. If wages are what a person earns or deserves, then what is a gift? A gift is always free for the one receiving it. But somebody still has to purchase it. This free gift of God is the opposite to the death and separation that sin causes. It is eternal life with God in Christ Jesus. This free gift is God's mercy His forgiveness shown to us when it was well within his power and right to punish us. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This means that God, the holy judge, he paid for this gift that we can receive for free. He paid for it by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. God is just. He must condemn our sin. But Jesus did what was required to satisfy God's justice against God's people. He took on our sin and he paid the price in full. Jesus came to this earth over 2,000 years ago He was born to a real woman. He lived in this world. He experienced all kinds of joy and suffering. He had real needs and real emotions. And yet he lived a perfect life without sin. He reflected God the Father, but people rejected him because he was not what they wanted him to be. 
they nailed him to a cross, and he died. But on the third day, he rose from the grave. Death could not hold him. He was without sin. He glorified God the Father perfectly, and so he could not be eternally separated from him. In Romans 10, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. To be saved, we must confess our sin, how we've missed the mark, and we must repent. Repent meaning that we turn our minds, we turn our lives from the flipped upside-down reality that we've been living in, of worshiping the created things instead of our creator. We can now turn our lives and our minds and our understanding the right way around, and we can worship the one who created us and created this world. We must repent and believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and that what he did satisfied God's justice so that we can be saved through him. Now this may be something that you've heard before, or maybe you're hearing this for the first time tonight, but let me ask you, have you truly taken the time and reflected on the mercy, the forgiveness of God? How great it is how huge it is, how immense it is. The teaching of this first part of the book of Romans has impacted me so deeply that, and most of, well, those of you that know me, I am not a crier. I don't cry easily. But like for the last couple months, I'm like crying every Sunday when I'm hearing the messages at church or singing songs because God's mercy is just leaving me in awe all the time. I am not deserving of it. But God has given it to me anyway. The next thing I want to share with you that has made a huge impact, not just in my life, but in the life of my family, was when we spent a weekend away at a missions organization called Ethnos this past summer. Well, we, as well as a few other families from our church, had an opportunity to go to a weekend that they called Off the Grid. So there was absolutely no cell service. We were literally off the grid. There was very little power. <laughs> there was like a couple solar things that, you know, maybe lit up one light or something. Um, but we went to this organization to go and learn about what they do. Now this organization sends people out, they train them and then they send them out to share this message of freedom through Jesus to people all over the world in places that people haven't even seen white people before, they haven't heard of this gospel message before, they have, you know, barely, they, they haven't encountered anybody who even speaks English. So they are going out to these very, very remote tribes, and they are trying to share the gospel message with them this good news of Jesus. And during our weekend there, we got to stay at this place called Jungle Camp. So 
how they do their training there, they live in fairly normal apartments while they're, the people are there training. But for one month out of their training, they have to go live in the forest to kind of mimic what it might be like to go live in a remote tribe. So they have to build their own shelters. And we actually got to stay in these shelters for the weekend. So they're made of things like logs and plastic wrap and cardboard and duct tape. That's pretty much all that they had to make them. So people who like camping really enjoyed the weekend. People who did not, it was a bit more of a challenge. But it was very cool. <clears throat> so we had a very brief taste of some of the challenges that these missionaries would face, things that I have never even thought of before. Things like language barriers. How do you overcome those? How do you get their language that often has never even been written down before? How do you get that language, learn it, understand it, and then communicate? It would take years. The other things that some of them were telling us about were some of the cross-cultural barriers that there might be. We did this exercise where some of us had to be missionaries and the other ones had to be tribal people. And as tribal people, we were given certain instructions, like don't even talk to them or acknowledge them if they're wearing shoes, because they are getting between the god of the earth and you do not respect them. So the missionaries came and started talking to us and we basically just ignored them and were very, you know, offended by them. So there was just some really neat things that we've, we would never have thought of that people have experienced that are, are challenged to go and bring this message to people. <clears throat> the last speaker of the weekend, whose name actually was Adam, which is funny because the pastor of our church is also named Adam. So Adam at Ethnos, got up in front of us and said to us, I have a question for you. If you ask this question to yourself, I want you to come up with a word. It's an open question. If I give myself completely to God, I am afraid he will make me, what? Blank. What would you say? We came up with things like, I'm afraid he would make me uncomfortable. I'm afraid he would make me unsafe. I'm afraid he would make me give up everything, move across the world. Then he went on to read this passage from Romans, which is funny because he had no clue that we'd just been studying Romans. He went on to read this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He asked us if we knew much about the book of Romans. And kind of pridefully, I think most of us kind of went, oh, do we ever? None of us said it out loud. But this Adam had no idea that we'd just been going through for the last eight months this book. He had no clue. It was one of those coincidences. He went on to explain that in this verse, the word, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. We lingered there for a minute. Then he explained the word, therefore, is usually there because it's pointing you back to something that came before this. 
and boom, it hit me. All the stuff that we had been studying through Romans, the mercy of God, it hit me. It brought me back to all those earlier chapters, and it just hit me. And I want you guys to understand, if, if you don't get this first part about God's mercy, I don't want to move on to the next part yet. Because if we gloss over the mercy part, and we just go right to the next part of the verse, often faith can become nothing but empty religion. In things I have to do to earn favor with God or things I need to do to earn this freedom from sin. I want you to understand it's not about what you can do. It's about what God has already done and has given you this free gift. It's not about how much money I give to the needy. It's not about how much I serve in my church. It's not even about how much I pray. It's about what God did for me through Jesus dying on the cross for my sin. This concept is so contrary to our human nature. We often feel like we have to do something, something to earn this, this favor with God, to pay him back. But we have only one hope, and that hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. So now that I want you to make sure that you understand this mercy, this forgiveness of God, I want to move on to the next part of that verse. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here we see this beautiful verse that takes us all about, or from learning all about God's mercy and the immensity of what he has done for us. And Paul now transitions and tells us how to live in response to this mercy. Not in response to feeling guilty, but out of a response of love for our creator. A living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means that because of what I've come to understand of God's mercy— in response to it, I can give him my life because Jesus gave his life for me. My life as a living sacrifice, I get to live as a sacrifice, and Jesus died as a sacrifice for me. This is not something I have to do to earn God's favor. Remember, there's nothing I can do to earn that. It's his free gift to me. And this, thinking through this, brought me back to a time when I was a teenager, when I first was hearing about God's love for me and what Jesus sacrificed so that I could be pronounced not guilty. And it made me think about a time when I wasn't so sure I wanted to be a Christian because of the fear of what I might have to give up. And maybe that's where you are tonight. But what, when we, what we have to gain is this incredible love and grace and forgiveness, a chance 
of everlasting life with the one who created me and loves me more than I can even fathom? Then the created things of this world don't hold so tight a grip on me anymore, do they? It's not such a sacrifice. So when this last session at Ethnos was over, when Adam was done speaking, he asked us to go and take some time and reflect. So I went for a walk, and I asked myself the question again. If I give myself completely to God, I'm afraid he will make me. And it hit me like a wave. God was asking me to give myself completely to him. Trusting him with my life, not being afraid of what I might need to give up, what he might call me to do, where he might call me to go, or who or what he might call me to let go of. I left from that weekend being so impacted and not knowing what to do about it. As I've had time to process it and digest it a little bit, I still don't know the full impact it will have, but it has shaped and changed me and my family. As I've had, um, sorry, I want, as we were looking at this, we talked a lot. We've been praying for the missionaries that have been sent out by Ethnos. But above all this, I want to have a posture of yes to God, whatever that means. My plans for what I thought or even I want my life to look like, I want to hold them loosely. If God is calling, then I want to be ready to answer with yes. Through this experience, learning and growing in this understanding of God's mercy, I feel like God has given me a really a fresh taste of who he is. The last thing I wanted to tell you about is how this understanding and this experience of God's mercy <coughs> excuse me, relates to my words for Christmas. Well, you may have already kind of figured out the mercy part. But now let me tell you about this hope part. As I've been pondering what a living sacrifice looks like in my life here and now, what a posture of yes looks like every day, I'm also looking ahead to this time of year because this time of year is when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. God's great mercy given to us in this form of a baby. And this baby brings us hope. It brings hope of restoration of my relationship with God. It brings hope of eternal life with him in heaven. It brings hope that I am no longer a slave to sin, but that I can be free to give my life completely to God as a living sacrifice. It means Christmas doesn't need to be about the gifts and the parties the busyness and the fun, or even the loss and the pain and the suffering. It's about hope. It's about the hope that we find in this baby, and this hope is real. It's not like the false hope 
that we often place in ourselves, where I have to make it happen. This hope is restful. I don't have to strive to be better, to do better. It has all been done for me. One of the reasons that our generation is so weary and hopeless is because they know deep down that the things that they put their hope on aren't strong enough to carry the weight of that expectation. If that's you, then please hear this tonight. Faith in Christ is a hope sturdy enough to rest your fears, your failure, your family, and your future on. This hope is real. And as you reflect on this time of year, I am praying that you will take some time to ponder all of this. When you see a nativity, I hope that you'll take a minute, that you'll linger and remember that these were real people. And this was a real baby. He was the embodiment of God's mercy. He is real. And I hope he brings you real hope this Christmas.